This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Away. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices that allow you to charge your phone on the go. For $20 off your order, go to awaytravel.com/fool and use the promo code fool. That's awaytravel.com/fool and use the promo code fool. From the South by Southwest podcast page in Austin, Texas, this is Market Foolery for Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me on the podcast stage today, very special guest, the Chief Technology Officer at Disney Pixar, Steve May. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. This is this is quite an honor to have you here. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's an honor for me too. You guys, <laughs> I have a, I have a longish commute to work, and I listen to this podcast every day. Fantastic. And it makes that makes that commute tolerable. <laughs> Actually, fun. <laughs> I appreciate that. Also. Um, uh, you're going to be doing a panel uh, at South by Southwest later this week, and I want to get into that a little bit. But uh, first, I, I, I'm sure that anyone who has ever listened to Market Foolery is familiar, uh, or <laughs> even if they hadn't, they're they're familiar with obviously Pixar and and Disney as an entity. Um, how did you get started? You've been at Pixar for a long time. How did you first start there? I've been there for 19 years. Wow! In fact, when I when I started there, it was uh, I was uh, A Bug's Life was the film that was in production. That was our second movie, and at that time, when I would tell people where I worked, I'd say oh, I work at Pixar, and their response would be like, I haven't really heard of that before. <laughs> and so it really wasn't a um, a household name at that time. And I I do remember at a company meeting, um, Steve Jobs was our, our CEO, and he said, you know, my, my goal is to turn Pixar into a, a brand uh, like Disney, you know, where it's like, you just hear the name, and you kind of go, oh, you know, I can, I, I can trust that company. By yeah. And, uh, and he, I remember him saying that very clearly, like, that is our, that is our goal, and uh, after a couple more movies, after, I think it was after Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo, people knew what Pixar was, and I think it kind of had that that brand thing. That was definitely a thing that came from, from Steve. And obviously, as the chief technology officer, you have a tech background. Um, how has your role evolved over the years? I'm assuming when you started, it was more hands-on in terms of a specific movie here or there. Yeah, for most of my, my time at Pixar, I worked on the films, on the film crews, as, a, as an animation supervisor. So just depending on the film, it supervised different aspects of it. So on on Finding Nemo, I supervised uh, all the scenes with the sharks in Sydney Harbor and the submarine. Um, on, on Cars, I was the visual effects supervisor, so anything that was dust or explosions or fire or smoke, you know, that kind of thing. Um, on, uh, on Up and on Brave, I supervised all the departments. Um, so it's, that's, my background really is working on the films. And for me, it's, uh, uh, it's a newer thing kind of to take more of this technology role because I've always kind of like looked at myself as being both both kind of artistic and technical um, even though my background's been like technical um, I always loved I loved art um, in fact in that in that in our in our panel um, one of the things I talk about is well the panel's called a scientist and an artist and an engineer walk into a bar great name um, and I think the punchline to that is that to me those aren't really different people that we kind of make we have this uh, I think a misconception that you're either left-brained or right-brained, and that you're either kind of technical or mathematical or you're creative, and I, I think it's a fallacy, actually. I think a lot of people are, are both, and actually it's when those things come together that it's really you know, amazing things happen. When art and technology come together for Pixar, that's, to me that's where the, kind of the magical, magical stuff happens. So obviously, 
you've been there nearly 20 years. Technology has changed a tremendous amount over the last two decades. I think, uh, I think it was in the, there's a documentary called The Pixar Story uh, that really gives the history of the company. And I think it was in there that I uh, learned that in the very first Toy Story movie, uh, it, there was no capability to portray liquid on screen. I think that was the thing where they wanted to have uh, an effect where uh, Woody, Sheriff Woody sort of sticks his head into a bowl of cereal and milk splashes out. And the tech people are like, yeah, we can't do that. And so instead he comes up and he just has like two Fruit Loops on his eyes or something like that. So now with, as you said, with cars, you've got fire and dust and explosions and Finding Nemo, obviously water. But is it, I guess my question is, what has been the most significant change? Is it the ability of the tech department at Pixar to be able to say yes to the people who are the storytellers? Um, or is it something much more nuanced than that in terms of the technology itself? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So uh, Toy Story, um, basically, that was being the first computer animated film, there was no existing technology to actually make animated films of that, of that length. So everything had to be invented. You know, the computer systems to actually uh, run uh, what we call, we call rendering, which is the process of actually kind of drawing all the frames, is a very computationally intensive task. Uh, we have tens of thousands of computers to actually do that process, and a single frame can take 10 hours to 100 hours, even more, uh, to render. Um, so that had to be invented. The software that the animators use had to be invented. And because, you know, in that, I mean, we're right about Toy Story. Even the fact that the characters are toys was kind of a, a little bit intentional and played to the strengths that we had at that time, which was uh, hard uh, plastic characters were much easier to do than other kinds of characters. For, for example, like humans that have flesh or uh, animals that have fur uh, was something we didn't have the capability to do. So the, the, the choice of subject matter of toys was actually specific to like, oh, that's something we can actually, we can actually do. The little green plastic toy soldiers. Yeah. It's just like, great, give us more, if you're in the tech department at Toy Story, you're like, give us more of those. So it was highly constrained <laughs> at that time as an art form as far as what you could do. Just making a 90-minute film at that time that was computer animated was a huge, a huge remarkable uh, achievement. And then as, as time has progressed, we've been able to improve the tools so that more artistic animators can use them, which I think has lent, made the movies more visually uh, uh, beautiful over time. And of course, computational power ha is thousands of times more powerful than we had. There. I mean, I think my phone is more powerful than the, the most powerful machines that we had 20 at, years ago at that time. So you can do much more complicated uh, uh, things. So is the answer now always yes? When the, when the creative department comes, when, you know, whoever is the director of a film or, you know, someone on the story side, and they come and they say, we want to do this, we want to do X, is there, is the sky the limit now? It's, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the imaginations of the directors and the production designers and everyone else that works on the film uh, still exceeds what we can make with the computer. Um, but our, our job, or my job, is if, if a filmmaker wants to create something, the answer is almost never, no, we can't do that. It might be like, we can do that, but can we do it you know, this way? Um, because that's actually, uh, that's actually possible. Um, I, I worked on Monsters, Inc., and I, I worked on, on creating the character Sullivan with the fur. We had not, that was a time when we had never animated fur before. Um, and it's a very challenging problem, and so, um, 
the director of the film really wanted to have a hairy monster, and we said, you know what? <laughs> yes, we can do that, but how about just like one? <laughs> right. You know, um, so our, our job is not to say no, and definitely never at the compromise of the story. So uh, our job is to kind of find some solution that we actually can achieve. It's true, though, that today that we can, we can kind of do most things that the directors want to do, but um, we still, they, their imagination still exceeds the capacity of what we, what we can do either technically or artistically. All right, I want to ask you a couple of questions about sort of broadly about technology and movies. And the first is 3D. Uh, I personally, I am not a fan of, of 3D. I'm uh, maybe it's just my age. Uh, although I, my kids don't appear to be, they're not bu bugging me. Stereo. This is where you can see the wear the glasses and see. The yeah, exactly. So I, I, I'm not looking to wear the glasses and and have the effects of the screen, um, you know, come at my face. Um, is that? And I guess my question is, is that waning? It really seemed like that was a much bigger thing that we saw more of those types of movies, say, five years ago. And I get that there is a financial interest for not just the studios themselves, but for uh, certainly the theater owners, because uh, they can charge a little more for those tickets. But I, I'm just wondering if like, what you hear from other people in the technology industry in Hollywood, you know, is, is it just me or is that sort of being dialed back a little? Uh, yeah, I think it may be a little bit. Um, there's, still a, there's still a market for that. There are still people who do enjoy watching them in 3D, and so there is still financial reasons to actually produce the 3D version of the film. Uh, my understanding is also that in, in, uh, in China, and it's actually the preferred mode of, of okay. watching films. So as long as there's audience who want to see it that way, we'll probably still produce, produce those versions. That's kind of a, a big market, so I could see It's kind of a big market and a growing one. So. Um, uh, yesterday, Simon Erickson, uh, one of the things uh, he mentioned was virtual reality. Where I'm, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Um, where do you see virtual reality playing a role in movies at all? It, like, is, is that a foregone conclusion that just as now we have 3D movies and you can pay for that, is it a foregone conclusion that in five years, 10 years, you know, maybe a little bit longer, you'll be able to go to a theater and the experience of watching a movie in a theater involves putting on a VR headset. I, I don't. That's the million-dollar question right now. I um, should share a story. Actually, I, I when I was a grad student at Ohio State, I did medical visualization using VR, and so that was in the early 1990s, and that wasn't even the first wave of VR. Um, it dates back even further further than that. So. Um, so the question right now, even in general, just is, is now the time for VR? And there's huge momentum behind it, so I think that that is going to help propel it for sure. Um, but who knows? You know, it could be that we're not quite ready yet, uh, even technologically, uh, uh, for, for VR. As far as, as, far as movies, um, so on the, there's a spectrum of applications for VR. And on the one hand, we can use VR to help us make our traditional 2D movies. So we do a thing called location scouts where we, we build a, a set, basically, a 3D set, and then the director will want to kind of start out by saying, well, what's, how, how can different camera angles look inside this set? We have virtual cameras in our animation software, and then you can kind of see the view. And right now, a director would do that on a screen. We position the camera, or he would position the camera, he or she, and then we could see how the set looks. With VR, you could imagine, like, you can actually go walk into the set or you could make yourself the scale of the characters. So if it's a, <laughs> if it's a bug's life and not everything is only a few inches tall, you, know, you can actually have that scale and let the director see that. So on the one hand, you could use it as a tool. 
You could also use it, it's being used right now as a, as a marketing device, just to give publicity uh, to the films, uh, to provide a kind of experiences about, hey, maybe what's this movie about in a different kind of way. The, the, but the big question is, is it really a storytelling medium that is effective in the way that, that films are? Are people gonna watch stories and can they get the richness of stories that we do with movies right now? Can they do that with VR? And the answer is, we don't, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're, Pixar is, we're dabbling in that space. We think that that particular aspect is interesting. We don't need to develop hardware or headsets or even a lot of the platform software, but we could actually, we have so many great story people, we could, we could actually kind of look at that problem of can you tell stories with, with VR and can you tell what kind of stories there are? So we know movies very, very well and it's very precise language for how we, how we create the movies and a lot of tools. You know, whether it's a close-up, or I mean, if we're just talking about the camera, um, the way we edit the films, the way, we, um, the way we use the camera, we have all these devices. We don't know what those same tools and devices are in VR. We don't even know like, if there are different kinds of emotions that you can evoke in VR than you can in, in, in films. Um, so it's, it's, a big, it's a big open question. A number of people are, are looking at it. We're, we're dabbling there. Um, I think we're just gonna have to Wait and see, and then even even if you produce a compelling story, there's still the financial question. Of, right. Well, will this thing actually make money, uh, the way that way that our films do? Yeah, and in some ways, it's an it, it's a much bigger financial investment that the studios and the theaters would meet, need to make because I don't know what those three D those disposable three D glasses that they give out at the theater cost, but I know it's a hell of a lot less than a VR headset. Yes, definitely. Um, I got a couple of movie questions for you, but first got to say thanks to our friends at Away. Uh, Away makes affordable, high-quality suitcases that charge your phone and start at just $225. Uh, you can cut out the middleman, and that's what Away has done, but, and they're able to offer the perfect luggage made with high-quality materials at a much lower price. Uh, the luggage comes in a variety of sizes and colors, and they all cost less than $300. And, and here's the game changer. The luggage comes with two USB ports and a high-capacity battery that allows you to charge multiple devices on the go so you can charge your phone, your laptop, your tablet, and you don't have to worry about standing in that. I, like now, when we were kids, airports had smoking lounges. I don't even know if they have smoking lounges anymore. Now, I think the modern-day version of the smoking lounge is the little charging stand. Because it basically serves the exact same purpose of the smoking lounge, which is I'm standing in this place doing this thing so that my flight will be better. And once upon a time it was smoking, I just need this cigarette before I get on the plane. And in this case, it's like I'm standing with a group of strangers around this you know, pole charging my phone so my flight will be better. And you don't have to do that with a wave because you can just charge it right in your bag. Uh, the luggage comes with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, a wave will fix it and replace it for life. Free shipping anywhere in the continental United States. And Away has a special offer for our dozens of listeners. You get $20 off when you go to awaytravel.com slash fool and use the promo code fool at checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash fool and use the promo code fool. Okay, movie questions. Um, what was the last movie you saw in a theater? Oh, geez. Um, you know, we go through, uh, leading up to the Oscars, see so many movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember actually the last one I saw um, in the theater. It might have been Lion. Okay. The most recent one. When you go to a movie, and and you're a long time listener, Market Fuller, you know that sometimes I'll I'll ask one of our analysts a question um, regarding the what I refer to as the business part of their brain. 
Um, when you go to a movie, are you able to just enjoy the movie or are you unable to shut off the technology part of your brain and watch some, if you're watching something and you're thinking, I wonder how they do that, did that or, oh, I know exactly how they pulled off that shot. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. That's, that's one way I evaluate whether or not a movie's really good. If I go to a movie and I don't think about how it's being made, it's really pulled me in story-wise, yep. which, which happens a, a lot, um, then I know it's a good, a, a good film. That's um, great. If I if I'm start to get bored, I'll start kind of like picking apart the image to see <laughs> maybe how they did that or maybe how I would have done it differently. Um, uh, so that's that's actually a great litmus test for me. So the movie that's coming next from Disney Pixar is Cars 3. Yep. The movie after that coming out this fall is Coco. Um, I know you, you can't really reveal any plot deal, details about Coco. Um, but uh, hopefully you can answer this question. Um, I know there have been, and maybe this happens on every Disney Pixar movie, where uh, there is something new from a technology standpoint that is employed. Um, I remember in the, you know, in the case of um, you know, certain movies, it's like, oh, well, you were talking about Monsters, Inc. It's like, right, that's where we dealt with fur. Um, and in the, in the case of the movie Brave, it's like, well, we've done hair before. We've never done Merida's hair for anyone who saw the movie Brave. You know, the, the protagonist has this amazingly lush, gorgeous, red, curly hair. I, I think it's gorgeous, lush, and, you know, curly. Um, for you and the tech team, I'm sure you thought of this as like a massive problem to be solved because of the technology involved there. Is there anything in Coco that is um, something where you said, oh, we're going to have to build something new for this, or, we're gonna, or here's a new effect we're going to have to develop? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to make sure I can say something that won't get the PR team uh, mad at me. You, can, you but, know what? You can absolutely say, yes, there is, and I can't tell you. That's a, that's a perfectly acceptable answer. Well, what I would say is that the, the Coco is about the Mexican holiday of the Day of the Dead, and so part of that um, that that um, that holiday is the uh, belief in the being there being a world of the dead that is goes back. It's it's um it's a city, and it goes back many 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 generations. So it's a little bit like um, the the layers of Rome or the layers of any any big city like New York. You go down the lower levels, you find there's another city actually underneath right. that was there from the past. This this world kind of has a city like that, only it's beyond anything that we, we currently know. And so uh, creating that environment uh, was just the, the sheer amount of complexity because of the hundreds or thousands of years of, of history that are there. Uh, it was probably the biggest uh, challenge on that film, and, uh, and visually uh, it's going to be spectacular. All right, last question, then I'll let you go, because I know you're busy. Uh, and this has nothing to do with technology, and it has nothing to do with movies. Um, but uh, you mentioned your time at Ohio State. Uh, Fox Sports has come out with a, a very super early preseason ranking for the college football season that will be starting this fall. Ohio State number two. Oh. How are you feeling about your Buckeyes? All right, well, <laughs> two. <laughs> those... those. Way too early preseason rankings. Yes, the way. <laughs> um, I, I, I love Ohio State football. Uh, Urban Meyer is an excellent recruiter. They seem to lose now a, a, a fleet of players every year early to the NFL, and, and he seems to be able to restock that every year. So two is pretty, uh, pretty ambitious, but I, I like it. 
All right. It's better than one. Let's just put that way. You don't want to be one starting out the season. That's yeah, you got a target on your back. Way too much pressure. Steve May is the Chief Technology Officer at Disney Pixar. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Really appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Deep brick red, slick cherry red, shine.